Welcome back to part two of my conversation with producer-engineer Miles Clark, recorded on board Pete Townsend's floating studio in London. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. Now here's your host, Brian Brodor. Okay, so fast forward. Yeah. Here we are, 2018, yeah. summer. It is, speaking of LA, it's like Los Angeles weather here in London. Yeah. So in preparing for our talk today, I went and listened to a few things, yeah. you know, from the Grand Cru CV a little yeah, bit. Yeah, did a little yeah, research. Yeah. One of the first records, and I don't know what was done here or not, but I was flipping through, let me see, quick rundown, Tenfei, yeah. right? And I don't want to misquote who I listened yeah, yeah, to, course, but there was yeah. another band, and I quickly threw it up on iTunes, I think, gave it a listen, and the first four bars of guitar and then kind of the rhythm section kicks in yeah. sounded just like, never mind. Okay. And this was from a couple years ago, okay. basically. okay. And so tell me what that looks like for you. That experience we all just talked about. Yeah. And now you're sitting here at a very professional place, commercial studio. He says bashing the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so connect those dots. So right, what's well, it like with those bands walking in now? Well, actually, Jonathan tends to take on quite a lot of the work because what's quite nice if you're running a commercial facility like this is that you still have generally a producer coming in, generally, or a producing engineer or an engineer you know so we're still having that sort of situation so i'm not engineering all the sessions occasionally some of them jonathan does a lot well, of what them. percentage <laughs> that's a good at the moment about 25 percent probably yeah, okay probably yeah. less but then that's because i'm still doing lots of stuff with pete sure and you know my own other projects which so i tend to bring my own things in here yeah. and work as a writer and a producer as well. So I'm trying to stretch my legs in that department. Right. So having done as much engineering with... OK, I'll just come out and say it. I don't really want to work on crappy pop music. Yeah, I, yeah, I've, enough, I've done... Yeah. I've kind of cut my teeth on pretty much everything I want to do. Yeah. And I, I know how to record stuff. So what I really want to be doing myself is I just want to work on the projects that are going to benefit me more, either for the love of it or for the, for the money. Sure. OK, so stop right there. Yeah. Ten years from now, I bump into you on the street. Yeah. You know, what do you see yourself doing, you know? Maybe like, throwing me some money. <laughs> no, I'm well, joking. you know, have you hit that, <laughs> have you written that number one, you know, World Cup tune and you're sailing off on your boat? What I'd really like to do is find some good bands to work with that fit into the, the kind of music that I really love. Producer, engineer. Yeah, because I kind of set up in a way that I'm running the studio. I love studios. You know, that's all I've ever done. So I love studios and I'm running a studio that I love working with great people I love and that part of it is overseeing that I'm really happy with. In terms of me personally, I want to find some really cool bands to work with that fit in line with that kind of indie, organic folky, jazzy whatever, mm. that's just some real you know, some music and sort of going out and writing with people as well so, okay, wow, okay so hold there, on, there are bigger projects <laughs> Yeah, so one thing at a time. Yeah. Right? I, I'd love to hear about the writing stuff, yeah. right? So, But first, yeah. where's that check coming from, right? Well, you exactly. Know? Yeah. Studio. <laughs> the studio as a commercial facility means that I can keep going yeah, in, yeah. in that sense. Well, but, there's the business model. You yeah. and I are looking at each other, yeah. but we both keep looking over at Jonathan, yeah, right? Yeah. So I get the commercial yeah, yeah, model. Yeah. But 
you know, if you're producing and engineering, yeah. right? So, I mean, do we see the money coming from labels? Obviously, that's dried up more. Yeah. I mean, it's coming from the artist side a little bit more. Yeah, what tends to happen now is there is still some, you know, some good label work out there. But yeah. actually, what tends to happen if you're working with new bands, and that's the kind of the dream, isn't it? The dream isn't to be working with... <laughs> he says working for the who. But it's not to be working with in those big established acts all the time the dream is to work with you know somebody new and cool and take them from yeah. at, you know their infancy and take them to be you want to be that guy working with on the, the first and the second nirvana album that's what you you kind of want to do sure well there's a good example right because yeah. they had done that early work yeah and then we're kind of let's go do this yeah, Butch with, and, Butch and, Fig, yeah, yeah. and andy wallace mixed it and that you know the way that all worked did wonders for everybody didn't well it? one in one yeah is Five in that case. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay, so let's talk writing for a second, right? Yeah. So your music background is as a keyboardist, yeah. right? Piano player. And a programmer, as we talked about. Now you draw that difference, right? Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So not everyone gets that. Yeah. So how do you bring that to the table with an act, you know, or an artist? Well, the interesting thing is the way that my career's gone is that I was doing that for my teens. You know, when I was at college, I was kind of one of the the few kids that went into it knowing about sequencing and stuff, you know. So I already knew a lot of that stuff. And then came down to work in a studio where it was redundant because I was making cables and making tea. Right. And suddenly I wasn't getting my hands on any of that stuff. And I needed then to work out how to use these big mixing desks, which is an entirely separate skill. True. Yeah. Tell me about that. Right. So therefore, I concentrated for 10, 15 years on being an engineer and tuning my ears that's different to sitting in front of a laptop and this is kind of going back to what we were talking about that's my point you can yeah. sit in front of a laptop you've got all these buttons that make it sound good cool-ish but as an engineer knowing about what all the knobs do and compressors and mic pre's and mic selections and mic placements and you know all of that other stuff reverbs and things like that so I spent a lot of time having sort of learned how to program, suddenly going, oh, now I need to learn how to engineer. Um, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, which is, what, which is what my, all my work with Pete, I've never, especially in the early days, I never had any kind of musical input on, obviously, on what Pete or Rachel, his wife, who I was working with, I wasn't having very much musical input at all. It was all making it sound good. So I became an engineer. So having had this kind of really good musical start out, suddenly I was... A technical person let me drill into that a little bit yeah. so i'm taking the cues from you of yeah. kind of under this umbrella of like well obviously pete wasn't asking me for yeah, anything. Yeah. i mean would he turn to you and say like hey you know how's that sound is that how's the intonation or or was it very no. isolating no no i mean like pete my my role has always been a sonic thing mm. um so in other words brighter frequency or low end uh, yeah yeah and always like that and then just enabling the session to work because there's always so much going on and, and again to drill in i mean you know would he be so focused with you as engineer i'm interested in the artist engineer role that's what i'm trying yeah, to get yeah, to. Yeah. you know so would he be so focused with you like look i need a little bit more 3k in the guitar yeah. i mean that kind of focus yeah absolutely i mean because you know pete as somebody who recorded so much of i mean kind of one of the few artists then who would be involved in the engineering he's a, obviously a great engineer because yeah. he was interested in it and took and he built studios the reason we're sitting here is because he built home studios and all of the yeah. biggest who tracks come out of demos that he started at home or wherever well the proof went, of know. that is in the scooped albums yeah, right of course, yeah. i mean they sound great yeah they sound yeah exactly yeah bargain um, is for me was listening to those demos yeah 
It's ridiculous. Yeah. Never mind the other tunes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So fortunately for me, is I kind of ended up getting involved with a musician who had got all of that, you know. Yeah. You know, someone like Keith Richards or whatever probably doesn't care so much about recording. He's a player and a songwriter. Right. But, you know... Pete was one of the few that was really into the technology. Yeah, that's fascinating yeah. to me, you know, because there are those worlds. And you think of the studio world, there are people who are on the other side of the glass. They don't want to know yeah, what you're just, doing. Yeah. Just make it run, Yeah, yeah. you know, and that's very interesting. So, again, I want to drill into this idea of as engineer yeah. and coming from the sequencing and kind of that yeah. technology world yeah. and then having your hands on a parametric EQ. Yeah, yeah. Like, tell me about that learning curve. Well... When sequencing in those days in the early 90s, basically you just had something basic. I've had something very basic, top, middle, bottom, mixer, for all my keyboards to go into. And it would somehow either sound great or it sound rubbish, you know. But I had no option to do much with that. So I went to a place called Lipper, which is in Liverpool, which is Paul McCartney's fame school, Hmm. which Jonathan actually went to as well a few years later, to learn how to use a mixing desk and all about it, like Berkeley, I suppose, was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So you get your hands on larger format yeah. consoles. Yeah. Yeah. And I just sort of, because I knew how to sequence stuff already and was doing that as a matter of course, my attention sort of turned on to how to make it sound better sonically. Yeah. And then as an assistant in a studio, you were kind of pushed into that role. Into, you're a recording yeah. engineer or mixing engineer. It's a sonics that you're there for because there was a producer and an artist who were taking care of what the music was doing. And on a big session, there was just always so much going on with the setup. Yeah. You just needed to plug up 20 microphones, 15 compressors, and you know, and make sure everything was working, headphone sends. And yeah. There's so much to be taken care of there. And then it was about making it sound good. Yeah. That, you know, that's a job in itself. Let me take a little bit of a left turn. Yeah. You know, we're sitting here in the control room of yeah. Grand Crew. I'm looking past Jonathan and there's a rack of Neves, yep. right? Rack of Neve pre and EQs. Yep. And then behind him on the other side, of course, is a digital and analog yeah. SSL console desk. Yeah. So did you have a moment where you had your hands on that level of gear? So this is beyond the sequencing and you're sort of summing your synthesizer. Yeah. You have low, mid, high kind yeah, of yeah, a, yeah. a more consumer uh yeah. you know that that's lower yeah, yeah. End, right? home, home gear, yeah so what i'm asking is was there that moment where you had your hands on a 1066 or a 73 and say oh that's what that's supposed to sound yeah. like right yeah there was i mean we had some really good gear in liverpool but it's all that learning curve and depends on who's teaching you what and you know and what their experience was yeah. before yeah because you know sometimes you get people who are teaching who have just come out of a college themselves luckily we had some pretty good people who were able to you know pass on some good information with no disrespect to anybody in that sense but what i found is that i did that first session the nick Lowe session we were talking about at september sound and at the end of the day neil brockbank who's a producer who's recently died, actually, but turned to me and said, can you just do a recall of this, this, and this? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because <laughs> oh, nobody wow. had told me that at the end of the session, I needed to draw little lines on pieces of paper, you know, of the gear. And, it's like, and I looked a little bit frightened, and he just passed me a book, and I opened it up and worked out that I had to go, OK, I've got to draw, you know, little lines on the pictures of the gear. So he wasn't pissed? You survived that? Nah, he was fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, luckily, he was the kind of guy who would get the sound to tape. Yeah. Or maybe radar we were working, but whatever oh, it was. Whatever. Uh, but, but, you know, get the sound to tape. And luckily, I kind of just managed to 
<laughs> get my way through it. And all of the learning curve started when I worked on sessions, or really. All the stuff before that, it was kind of playing. There was no pressure or anything. And then it's just sitting day after day after day listening to whatever you're working on, which might, like I say, right. might have one day been The Prodigy, the next day Erasure, the next day Mozart, the next day Divine Comedy. You know, do you see what I mean? There was, sure, yeah. It's, uh, with loads of different producers, loads of different engineers that I was working under. So you just get your own sort of sensibility. And then along with the musical taste that you'd already kind of got yeah. as a teenager, which was me with, with sort of, indie grungy yeah. you know bands yeah then you take it forward and hopefully you get somewhere with it well it's something i'm fascinated about is when you're taught something yeah when people tell you well you know you gotta cut 5 db out of your 250 hertz for that, yeah. that snare drum or whatever yeah, yeah. and then you do it yourself and you say you know what i kind of like this. i prefer that prefer those, yeah, yeah and you have that eye opening you know i always like to hear those stories yeah you know We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. Okay, let's take the obligatory right turn and talk about gear. Yeah. I, I want to be conscious of our time, yeah, yeah. so thank you. Yeah. Let's talk about gear here a little bit. We don't have to do the crazy deep dive. People can go online and see yeah, the yeah. really lovely collection of gear you have. Mm -hmm. Right out the bat, you've got 1066s and 1073s here. Yeah. So Desert Island, which do you take with you? 1073s. Why? Because 1066s have got a... God, this is so nerdy. But uh, that, it is, I'm sorry. That frequency... The shelf is at 10K, mm -hmm. whereas the 1073s is at 12K. And yeah. for a vocal, if you lift at 10K, you still get too much sibilance. If you lift at 12K, it's more air. Yeah, it's more air. And that's, it. that's, you know, and actually in our scenario, our 1066s are original, which means that they're more prone to break. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and, the, and the 1073s are more reliable. Got so, um, but that's just here. But yeah, in that kind of imaginary desert island scenario, I'd still go for the 1073. Now look, I mean, I can walk through your, you got what, LA4 over here, you yeah. got some LA3s, right? Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I can go through all that, but right. let me hear your opinion on using the SSL desk, right? Because it's yeah. smaller format, but yeah. it's still a 48, right? This is a 48, but the way it works yeah. is that you can either use it as 24 stereos, yeah, which is, you know, a particular way of working. So many people working with stems. You can use it you can use it as a sort of inline mm. format. I mean, you can truly make it work as an inline console. Yeah. However, you don't look at it in the way... It, it doesn't work exactly the same way as uh, a Neve VR or a, sure. you know, a G-Series or whatever would, would work. So you have to kind of start a session with, how am I going to work it today? The, the desk we had before that, I was using the, the original 900, mm. and that was just straight 24 channels, which could be mic or line. So this kind of gives you more options, and you can switch. Does the EQ work with this? Does the EQ work with that? And I've worked with the Duality Loads, which is its kind of bigger brother, and I've right. worked with the Duality Tons, which actually offers a little bit more in that department. But what they've done with this desk, I think, is they saw that the Duality fulfilled what the 900 didn't, and they've worked out how to kind of bring it together somewhere in the middle, which is what lots of people wanted. And certainly for you, tracking a 
band or a rhythm section would be different than someone coming with stems yeah. and the functionality of the desk that yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, for this studio, this is ideal. Obviously, you know, well, there's no real way of getting a 48-channel desk in here. I mean, we could, and there have been that size desk in here Squeezing before. Squeezing through the side. Yeah, yeah, there have been much bigger desks in here before, but this kind of works because it does everything we want it to do. I've always said that it's a clean desk. It's still got a bit of SSL sound. You can still stick the bus compressor on. Yeah. But I've always said that the gear around it, mm -hmm. some of which is a bit funky and weird, and some of it is, you know, kind of the standard 1066, 1073s and some Focusrite gear. And, but you can kind of... We can achieve the sound we want going in with the mic pre's here. Those mic pre's on the desk are actually really good. The dualities, are, I feel, are even better because they, they offer you a little bit more flexibility with the kind of a harmonics and what have you. I really like the duality pre, but yeah. the, the basic pre in this is the same, actually. It just hasn't got some of the extras that the duality has. So, yeah, it really is all you need now, I think, unless you're going to go and do a huge band tracking very traditionally, in which case maybe this isn't the place right, for you, you but that's a space it. thing yeah. as much as anything. You know? And, of course, to your left, I'd be remiss not to mention the one-inch eight-track yeah. Studer, yeah. which is rare, and yeah. prior to recording our conversation, we were yeah. talking about 8-track 2-inch, which yeah. is even more rare. Yeah, yeah. And my experience seeing 5-1 mixes drop down to yeah. that. So if people come in and want analog 24-track, you don't have that here? No. Right. And behind me is your full Pro Tools yeah, rig, yeah. obviously. Okay, so that's all good. Yes, we had to get the nerd stuff out of yeah, the way. Yeah. What challenges are presented having a studio on a barge? Not much, really. Getting heavy equipment on is a kind of a pain in the ass, but yeah. it's not that bad, really. You know, we've got a lot of instruments and stuff. People only really need to bring a guitar. If they really have that, you know, an amp that they particularly like, then fine. It's not that bad. It's probably no different. You're in zone one of London anyway. You're going to have problems wherever you are. Yeah. So nothing really, you know, facilities like... <laughs> without getting too much into it like the toilets for example aren't quite the same as normal toilets so <laughs> we've got th we have problems like that but other than that there aren't any problems i mean if the weather's rubbish mm. it's kind of no different to walking down a street in london getting wet so yeah it's kind of just the same but in a day like this especially it's lovely how's your isolation do neighbors hear the music or tracking at all you know, uh, is it any different we've never had any um complaints at all yeah you can't really hear anything Really low end, occasionally. Sometimes the odd bit of middle-e guitar frequency will creep through. Yeah. Actually, the rubber ceiling around the door, you know, remember it's 40 years old, so the rubber seals around the door sometimes shift a little bit and something you know, creeps out. But it's really kind of over-engineered, really. Mm. It's built like a 70s recording studio. It's not, kind of, you know, yeah. like so many studios that crop up now are plasterboard rooms with loads of foam and bass traps and stuff stuck on the wall, which... To me, obviously, you can get it sounding really good, but there's always this feeling of it's not a very solid studio. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. There's part of the vibe of studio yeah. where you feel isolated. Yeah. And our time sitting here, I noticed walking over here yeah. that it is quiet over here anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quiet. Yeah. You know, just the marina is isolated, yeah. Yeah. even though literally, I don't know what, a uh, uh, half a kilometer or whatever, the, there's. Tower London's over here. Yeah, it's a very busy area. Yeah, it's 250 yards. And it's not yeah, it's, but but it's very calm over here. And it's certainly our time sitting here, it's nothing's going on. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. I mean, what you tend to find here with this particular part of London is you have got Tower Bridge, Tower of London. Yeah. Lots of tourists out there. There's a big glass building which 
you might be able to see just about, um, which is the Sun Wait, newspaper. You, you, you mean I might be able to see it out of the porthole? Yeah, exactly. Which is an odd thing to say in a studio. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's the Sun newspaper, you know, kind of News International. Yeah. So there are kind of people milling around there, and then the city's a bit further up. But it's kind of an odd part of London, but a really quite a peaceful part of London, bizarrely, that you're so in the centre. You know, you're within the square mile of, of yeah. the London city. Through your eyes, you know, what's the current kind of London music recording scene like right now? What's going on? There's always something going on. One of the things that we tend to have here is that there's kind of a lot of pop music, there's a lot of urban music sort of, you know, for the, the, the studio that as it is, we're getting a lot of urban sessions, we're getting a lot of writing sessions, label-based writing sessions. So if you have three people that are all booked to do a session together, each of those has probably got a space that they use normally, but actually they get thrown together and a label will pay for it, so that's great. And those sessions are, you know, quite fun to have in here because it, they seem quite relaxed, which is nice. Yeah. I sort of remember, I used to work on sessions where it wasn't quite so relaxed because there were, you know, hard and fast deadlines with big technical sessions, whereas now, you know, we get quite a lot of very relaxed people in here just really enjoying their time, so that's, that's really good. In terms of bands... There's always a producer and engineer within a band, so what tends to happen now is that we see a lot of people coming here to do overdubs or, or mixing. It's a weird situation for someone who worked on, you know, things from start to finish. Sure. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah, um, yeah. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen anymore, but it's, it's kind of quite vibrant, really. Much more than I think. Sometimes I sort of go to bed thinking, oh, I just wish there was more bands, I wish there was more mm. going on, but actually we're fairly busy and... Yeah. There's always something exciting happening. Artists seem to be coming in with tracks more, obviously. Yeah. And then the traditional engineer, I'm asking you, I guess, your thoughts on this. Yeah. You know, the traditional engineer sometimes might have to slot into almost like an assistant role and have them get their tracks up. Yeah. And, start, yeah. and then writing happens in the studio yeah. and then maybe they leave. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think the way that people have some kind of specific role doesn't always work like it used to. You used to have, I used to be on sessions with it, be a producer, an engineer, a programmer, yeah. an assistant, and a runner. You know, that many people all having specific tasks that they would do. But with the hub of everything being a computer now, you know, that's that's one of the things, you know, literally everything goes through that computer. So you can only ever have one, I mean, it would be a nightmare otherwise, but you can only really have one person using the computer. But everybody kind of knows what's going on on the computer, so it's different for, you know, some of the sessions that, that have been happening recently is that we, we do have still a producer role, still a, an engineer role, but I don't know, I think if, I think everybody just has to muck in and just see what happens at the end of it, because... Everybody has to be a bit of a jack-of-all-trades, I think. And in a way, that's how a lot of magic happened yeah. 50 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the creative process. Yeah, if George Martin hadn't kind of had an idea about how the desk worked, he wouldn't have been able to say, let's try this. I'm sure the engineers themselves, you know, Jeff Emmerich and, and people yeah, came yeah. up with the goods. But do you see what I mean? Is sure. You, can't, you kind of have to allow somebody else the, the opportunity. Well, it works in reverse, too, yeah. where, you know hey, let's do the double string quartet on this, or yeah. like let's try some weird things from yeah. the artist's yeah. side. Yeah. Or even somebody like Pete, where he says, I'm going to lock myself away in my home studio, yeah. and I've got eight tracks and a yeah. you know, mini yeah. console and yeah, Yahoo. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. I have one last question for sure. you. Yeah. So phone rings, you pick up the phone, you answer it. Okay, you have a conversation, you hang it up. Yeah. The person on the other end of the phone mm -hmm. 
just solved one of the biggest, if not the biggest problem going on with Grand Crew or you, you know, yeah. who was on the phone and what's the problem they solved? <laughs> okay. Wide open, whatever you want to answer. <laughs> it was somebody saying, I want to book the studio for two months to do a whole album, band recording, start to finish. It's not a big problem, but that would make me happy, is that, you know, we've been running this place for three years pretty much now, two and a half years, as a commercial venture. And a lot of the work we get is day-to-day or three or four days at a time. And uh, we've had some really good longer-term projects. Uh, Spring King uh, have just mixed their album in here. Um, You know, we've got some years and years, did a couple of weeks last year. But what I'd really love is to have something which goes right from start to finish. And I've, you know, in my old studio, I worked with a band called Sparkadia and we had a month booked out, an Australian band, and... It was a month, but from start to finish, creating the album from there to there, uh, it might have got mixed elsewhere in the end. But, but the point is, is that kind of, you know, it's nice to have that level of intensity of work going on because everybody gets something out of it. I think it's less less bitty, less bitty work, you know. Sure, and it's a creative process. Yeah, boom, and and the studio can handle it. You know, yeah, and that's the thing. And it will be, you know, whoever whoever is the lucky person who decides to come here and do that first sort of six week, two month album, they'll have a great time. That's the thing. Well, you know, maybe the listeners to this podcast, there's someone out there oh, yeah. that says, "Wait a second, yeah." You know? So this is the final bit. How do people find out more about booking the studio? Just uh, Instagram and just mess around on Instagram all day, basically. And, sure. um, <laughs> right. and that kind of feeds into... Uh, Which is at Grand Crew? Uh, GrandCrew.studio. Yeah, at GrandCrew.studio. Lovely. And we use Maloco. Maloco is a, a kind of cooperative that's probably not the right word but it's a lot of the studios in london tend to go through that booking system now which Mm. makes life easy for people like myself because they take care of money and the admin and blah 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 so actually if you go to book grand crew you go to those guys there and they take care of everything and they'll get in contact with one of us two about specifics that's interesting yeah yeah it just means because otherwise it's a, it's a small operation. It's me, really, and Jonathan sure. working on a lot of the sessions with me. But if you start trying to chase money and trying to book things, all of those things, it just becomes a job. I don't want to do yeah, that. Yeah, it takes up a ton of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right on. Don't want to do that. So, you know, and it's just, that would just be too much work. We're trying to make a really cool studio. So if we can keep that going, that's, you know... That's hey, look, this seems like a pretty cool studio to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an amazing place. Exactly. Thanks for the time. No it's worries. great meeting you and being here at Grand Crew. Jonathan, thank you for the Sonics. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by JLC Accounting, bookkeeping, accounting, tax preparation, and advisory. For more information, visit jlc-accounting.com. That's jlc-accounting.com. This has been a production of East Main Media. Hosted by Brian Brodeur. Special thanks to associate producer Morgan Taylor, audio engineer J.P. Conk, senior producer Kayla Galka. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a good rating. For more information, visit eastmainmedia.com. And thank you for listening. <laughs>